Hi guys and welcome to episode 12 of the podcast. Tonight we are talking to Gail who's going to tell us lots of fun facts about bees and our own beehives that she has and how she set them up and lots of interesting facts about bees. So tune in and listen to Gail tell us all about our beehives. And thanks for coming on the show. So would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, um, I'm Gail from Ken Apiary, based in Fife, not that far away from where you are just now, um, and also a host of Hive Talking Podcast, which is a beekeeping, essentially a beekeeping podcast, but it's sort of morphed into something that's more about the bee world um, and the natural world and bee business as well, which is a part of beekeeping that a lot of people don't think about, but I find really interesting. Yeah, definitely. So, um, wh- so what got you into beekeeping and and having your own hives? Um, I think I've always been fascinated by bees, and um, I think the fact that they are a perfectly functioning female-led society always um I found really fascinating. And I was actually at a holiday uh, property in Perthshire, and they had their own honey and uh, being a serial nosy person who's always asking questions um, I had well, where, where's that where'd you get that from and I said oh the hives are just down the hill do you want a look and also being one of those people that never says no I was like yeah okay so the next thing I knew I'm in a field in a bee suit um, and when the guy opened the lid of the hive and I looked inside I was just completely hooked um, I was like wow, this is, I just, I didn't want to look away. I didn't want him to shut the hive up. I just thought it was so fascinating and I just wanted to know more. Um, and from the, from then, I kind of did a bit of Googling, found my local beekeeping association, um, went along to uh, the eight period that they have. It's actually quite close to where I live. And I was really lucky enough to meet a bee farmer who just happened to be there, we got chatting. He's quite local to me, and he became my mentor. And it went from there. And it's become uh, not only a business, but an obsession. I'm just, you know, I'd I'd spend all day with the bees if I could. Wow. Do you know, I don't know, myself, like, I've always just loved bees myself. Mm -hmm. And I think... um, many years ago when I was in my um, I think I was 18 or 19 I'd watched this um, movie I think it was called The Happening or something and um, it was American and it was talking about how like if bees died that the humans would die in four years and yeah. I think everybody else probably just thought that was just a film whereas I actually like you was like googling and finding out about bees and what they pollinate and stuff and I kind of thought wow how important are bees to us and we don't even realise it? You know, people just think they're just animals that, you know, that'll they come out, they pollinate stuff and then that's it. Some of them die and they come back the next year and they don't ever think about it. They just think that they don't realise how amazing bees are to us. I and I, I think when a lot of people when you say the word bees, most people immediately think about um bumblebees because they are fluffy and really cute and they are kind of the poster girl of the bee world um and they've become um a sort of 
very trendy image. It's a really wholesome image, um, bumblebees. But there are actually thousands of different types of bees. And most, a lot of bees are solitary bees. Um, and we've got thousands of different types of solitary bees in the UK. And of all the bees we've got in the UK, there's only one type, there's only one honeybee, really. Mm-hmm. So honeybees are actually quite a small part of our, if we just think about the UK, are actually quite a small part of our bee population. So when we're saying save the bees and look after the bees, we're and feed the bees, which is the main thing. It's not just about bumblebees and, and honeybees. There's a lot of solitary bees that if people saw them and think, oh, that's just a fly or that's a wasp, but they are a pollinating insect. Yeah, definitely. Through getting into gardening um, and like as a me being so kind of passionate about it i wanted to attract more bees and um you know they say plant plant your flowers and your you know your herbs and stuff and they will come absolutely and and like that um when we started doing our garden because we didn't have it when we got to the house we're in just now there was no there was no plants there was no life it was stones in the back garden with artificial grass and we Oh, we added plants, and I started to notice, like, like, like I was like, oh, that, that, what is that? And it was like little tiny kind of. They looked like bees, but they were tiny, or little tiny wasps, and like I was like, oh, that's yeah. a ho- that's a hover bee, and you know, or and you know, and I was googling all the all these different like kind of things, and even like this year, I saw a like they were bees, but they were black with like yellow stripes. Yeah. So I've had like the honeybee, the bumblebee, you know, the hoverflies. We've... There's so many different types. I mean, in fact, there's, there's so many different types of just bumblebee. Um, the ones that really fascinate me that aren't, I mean, obviously the honeybee is my, my favourite, but I'm really, I love the um, leafcutter bees, which people are, people now that are, certainly the last year and a half when people have actually sat in their outdoor spaces and looked because normally where people are so busy but so many people have had actually time to look at nature and connect to nature and people are saying messages all the time saying I've got this thing in my garden and it's it flies around and it's got a wee bit of leaf and and, and it's just they're just absolutely fascinating what they do um I've got them in my garden I've got them in the wall at the apiary and when I'm sitting watching my bees I've watched them come in and go on and I just I just I find the, the everything they do is quite alien i find the bee world is quite alien to us how it how it's um sort of the politics of it and how it interacts with nature i just i get i get really hooked into it all it's it's dead interesting you know i think it's something that i would love to know more about um i'm in a new allotment now but the other allotment that i used to be in um in glasgow they were talking about like getting training to do like a beekeeper kind of training, which I thought was amazing. I thought that would be great to do that. Yeah. I mean, I could still look into that in um, the future, but you know, I thought that would be amazing because you know, then they they would want to get their own hives. And I think the new one that I'm in, I was talking to someone um at the allotment, one of my allotment members the other day, and he was saying, "Oh, we was saying, oh, a guy up the back's got hives, and um, I think yeah. they're looking to get hives, and I think it's just something." amazing but even like you're saying I would love to be able to and it's something that I've been trying to do for the last couple of years was to get a bee house for solitary bees mm-hmm. um and I tried a few years ago and I did like I made my own like because I like to recycle mm-hmm. um and I had like the bamboo kind of bamboo that was they were quite big and I put sugar like sugar water inside and left it um but I don't 
I don't think we we really got anything to my knowledge. I don't think we got anything in that that summer. Um, but um, I was kind of looking, trying to find out how to kind of attract them, and my husband was like, just just plant stuff, and and maybe at that time there wasn't enough to attract them. Um, planting planting is is huge. Um, I um feel that you know when you say save the bees, it's a little bit of a slightly misguided message because. The way to save the bees isn't necessarily to keep bees. Um, the way to to save and support all of our bees and pollinators is to plant for bees, and is to plant the right things that will flower at the right time, depending on where you live. So, if you are say where we are in the central Scotland, obviously we're always going to have a we always have a shorter summer. Although of course this year was crazy long, um, which. It was a very odd summer because we had such a late start um, with the snow in April and stuff. But if you're on the south coast, it's quite different. And what you would plant is quite different. And I always say, people, what will I plant? Will I plant? I'm like, plant something that will flower as late into the year as you can. Um, because in the spring and in the early summer, there's so much forage for our bees. It's as the summer trundles on. Uh, and a lot of stuff. It's not necessarily that they're just flowering, but it's that they have pollen available and that they are maybe giving out, you know, they're gifting some nectar, the plant. So sometimes the, that all depends on the weather as well, which is just one of those things. You know, if, if the weather's really hot and dry, you'd possibly think, oh, that's great for the bees and the flowers. But if the weather is dry, the plants won't put out as much nectar because they just don't have the, the, the moisture to do it. So it is all linked to the weather, um, and it is something that since I became a keeper of bees, um, you become absolutely obsessed with, just like a gardener. Yeah, definitely. I think um, you know, I think I've always lived outdoors, and I think the more. Um, and even as a child, I think I kind of was obsessed with kind of like, probably now if I was a child, this COP26 and, you know, stuff would be right up my street. I would, you know, be going yeah. home and telling my mum and dad, we need to do this, we need to do that. And uh, my mum and dad going, yeah, yeah okay. I sometimes think, am I the only person that's got four different weather apps on their phone? <laughs> oh, my husband has. He, he, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. I mean, so what? So you you went and saw the 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 farmer yeah. with the bee and the bees. And then I decided, yeah, I decided right. I am gonna I am gonna become a beekeeper. And um, John, who's my mentor, he breeds queen bees, which something I didn't know existed. And he supplies queen bees to other beekeepers. And he gave me my first small nucleus colony, um, and helped me set all that up. But the first thing I had to do was find somewhere to put the bees um, because I didn't necessarily want to put them in my garden. I know there's a massive boom on people putting a hive in their garden, but I mean, you've got to really think about that long term. And I'm a, uh, I know a lot of people very successfully keep one or two hives in their garden, but the way that bees work, they always want to reproduce and the way that they reproduce is they swarm and you can end, and so either they're going to swarm, they could end up in your chimney, a neighbor's chimney, you know, anything like that can happen. Or you end up with lots of hives, <laughs> which is, if that's what you want, great. But it's maybe not always ideal if you're just in a small urban space. And also, I think in urban spaces, you've got to think about your neighbours. You've got to think what forage is there for them. 
and who else has got bees round about and that's something that you really even have to think about if you're in the countryside because there's no problem point in you saying right i'm in this lovely cottage i'm gonna uh, get five or six hives here when your next door neighbor's got 20 you know and an operational because they're going to be sharing that forage and bees will go roughly up to about three miles looking for forage for food um at a push i mean they have been on to go up to five but three is kind of commonly accepted as where they would go and if there's too many then your problem is that they're not going to be able to create as much honey and honey is what gets the bees through the winter so that's their natural you know store that's what honey is that they, they create honey to feed themselves through the winter when there are no flowers and beekeepers take the extra because they usually make extra and you leave enough to see them through the winter but if there's not going to be enough there you're going to start hitting problems with with um starving colonies you know there's a lot to think about before um, you're rushing just say, I'm going to put bees in my garden. Because it sounds like such a brilliant idea, you know, I'm going to save the bees, I'm going to have bees in my garden, and they are a brilliant thing to sit and watch, but you've definitely got to think about the long term um, and how you're going to manage your bees. Because you're taking them, you know, although they are a wild animal, you're putting them inside, um, you know, in a hive, which isn't their natural place to live. Um so yeah, there's quite a lot to think about. So what I did was, um, I decided, right, I'm going to have bees, I'm going to have them in my garden, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, bought all the gear, typical, get all the gear, no idea, and then my husband, uh, then I told my husband, and <laughs> <laughs> I told him what I was going to do, did, uh, did I never tell you that I'm really, really anaphylactic, um, allergic to bee stings, and I was like, no, you never told me that. Oh, no. So I I went door knocking. I'm lucky that I live in the countryside. I live in a village. Uh, I went door knocking, drove around looking for places, and I was really lucky that the estate with a farm right next to my village um, kind of welcomed me in with open arms. It was just the right time for them. They were starting up some eco projects of their own, which the bees have become part of, which is really exciting. Um, and they gave me a, a, an area on this on the farm, and it's just been brilliant. So I've got a nice little private spot, um, and they've introduced some chickens there. So I've got chickens in beside me, and um, yeah, it's, it's been great. So I'm very lucky that the forage roundabout where I am is is ideal, because we start off in the spring with um, oilseed rape. We've got loads of hedgerows. That's one of the things that they're actually replanting lots more natural hedgerow of plants like buckthorn, hawthorn, things that flower quite early in the season, which is great for bees. Um, and then that sort of trundles on into, obviously, all the gardens that are around about us, and we've got lime trees, which give loads of nectar in the height of summer. So it is um, actually a perfect little spot that I've managed to snag there. But it's one of the things you really have to think about is, you know, the long term, because you're not just going to have those bees for a year hopefully uh you won't just have them for a year but that that can happen your bees could just swarm off and, and you're left with a little empty hive so you really got to think about what what your long-term goal is so what do you, so if you know if you're if you are gonna like yourself you've got somewhere that you're gonna set up a hive so what do you need to for like your hive to be to attract bees if you were if you, you you know, you had somewhere that was safe and you've got your bees. 
What do they need? They need well, the bees need always need a source of water, and they need food sources. So, like I'm saying, we throughout the year I've got quite a good food source, um, and it ranges from fields, beans, oilseed rape, um, the hedge pots in the hedgerows, where also the the farm where my bees are, we're just about to plant a five hectare wildflower meadow, um, which is a really interesting project where they they are looking to reinstate the natural biome in the soil um, and it involves highland coos which I'm always a fan of oh, I love sheep. them too <laughs> yeah they're fab so um, they're a wee bit scary actually when you get quite close to them I didn't realise how big Morag was <laughs> till I met her and with huge horns but basically the project is to not to move away from that sort of fertiliser pesticide on off on off kind of regime and use a more natural way to get the soil living again. So the plan is that they're going to plant this big wildflower meadow, which is quite close to the bees. The bees are going to help pollinate that. Off the back of that, I'll get honey that comes in from the wildflowers. Well, the nectar comes in and the bees make it into honey. And then the cows will go in uh, for three days do what cows do, then the chickens come in at the back, spread what the cows do around, and then twice a year the um, sheep come in and keep the grass down so that the flowers aren't choked. Um, and that's that's the plan to move that all the way around the farm and start to uh, bring a bit more life back to the soil. So it's, it's a really interesting project to be part of. Um, one of the other things that I've been doing is this year, I sent off my honey. There's a there's a project which is the honey monitoring scheme, and you can um, send your honey off, and they do a DNA profile Ooh. of your honey. And so hopefully by the t- by the spring, I'll get that report back, and it tells you every single type of flower that there's pollen grains of in your honey. So I'm really looking forward to that, but. I'm a bit worried that they might think that I'm sort of taking the mickey because there are actually some hot houses really close to uh, where my bees are. So there's all wonderful things in there, you know, banana trees and pineapples and stuff. So they're going to be, I'm wondering, you know, what on earth's going to be in that honey. So that's quite exciting. So in a, so I've sort of gone off on a tangent there. Talking no, about it's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> as well. I'm, I'm interested. That beekeeping isn't always a, it's not a, if you're going to run it as a hobby, it's, and, and then, and just have whatever spare honey that you get for yourself and your family and your friends, it's still not even a cheap, it's not a cheap hobby, you know, um, you setting up a hive's quite pricey, um, and then you're probably going to have to buy bees from somewhere to get you started, there's also miticide treatments you have to do through the year, you might have to feed your bees, you know, there's a lot, there's quite a lot involved. Um, so the, it's it's an investment. And, you know, when my husband says, how much, he used to say, now obviously I sell honey and other products and it pays for itself. And, but before when it was just a hobby, it's like, oh, this is a really expensive hobby. And I used to say, well, you know, it's it's not the same, uh, it's not as much as a season ticket at Old Trafford, <laughs> but it was. <laughs> it was a lot more than that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to think about if you want to win it, but I just absolutely love it. It's uh, the apiary is my sort of place of solace. I I love it. I mean, yesterday was the first day I've had in a little while because of it's 
downtime it's coming into winter and I just I'd sort of forgotten that I hadn't sat there for a, a few weeks and just you can just breathe and certainly over the 18 months on off lockdown that we've had it really was my place to escape get out the house um my husband works away from home so lockdown was the longest we've ever been together <laughs> so it was great <laughs> it was great that um you know, it was a lovely sunny day, and even when it was total lockdown, bees are classed as livestock, so I was able to go and uh, leave the house and go and, and sit in my little field and just have absolute peace. And it's not the first time that um, Colin, the farmer, has come round the corner and I'm sound asleep sitting on a bench. Oh, wow. With <laughs> my mouth hanging on, because I just, I just zen out. I love it. But it can, I mean, it can get quite busy in the summer, um when you've got to do weekly, you know, you're doing weekly inspections just to make sure everything's okay. Um, you can, it can get quite busy. Wow. Now, I'm interested. So you, so you saw this, you saw the, the hive and you went and found out about it, bought the stuff and you got somewhere to, to have your hive. Yeah. Now, so how did the hive go from a hobby as such to adding on how you, you make things like um, you make your creams yeah. and you make your when- honey... Yeah, I started off with one hive, which is normally what happens. And everybody says, you start off with one or two. And with hindsight, it is is actually better as a beginner to start off with two. Because then you can compare. Because you're building up knowledge really fast when you first get your bees. Because it is so alien. You're never quite sure, are you doing the right thing? Is everything okay? Um, I just, I mean... once you get the bees, you just think about them. They're like nine million babies. You worry about them all the time. And I took it from there and through sort of nat- more natural um, splitting the hives when they got too big. I've sort of grown now into a decent-sized apiary. And from that, I had enough honey to sell. And I'm really lucky that I have a really built up over the last couple of years a really strong sort of following of local people and who have become sort of regular customers and I basically just send an email out and it sells out in 36 hours you know each batch just goes um because people are I think especially the last few years people are really getting into the whole slow foods movement people are appreciating local food and shopping local um, I don't ship my honey out. I don't send it to anyone. I don't sell the honey in any shops. Um, I sell it direct to the consumer. So it's basically field to, you know, it's sort of like field to fork. It's sort of like flour to spoon. Um, I don't sell it anywhere else. I just I just sort of keep that really small and sell to people locally. I'm a big believer that local honey is the best honey for you. Um it has all the pollen that's in that you breathe in every day. So if you're an allergy sufferer, um, go go local. Go as local, and I would guarantee that everyone has a local beekeeper because we're everywhere. And you wouldn't, you don't realize it's kind of like this little hidden world that goes on. And once you get into the beekeeping world, you realize how huge it is and what an enormous billion-pound global industry it is. It's huge. Um, but I am a big believer in going local. So. I started selling the honey and it was just honey and once I got to a certain point I had beeswax and I had um what, what am I going to do with this and I you know I just just from speaking to people I started sort of dabbling and doing little, little bits and bobs and just from simple things like my dog had cut her paw 
And so I made some pot beeswax paw balm, and that's become a really big seller for me. And then I thought, oh, I a little candle. And then, then I got into cold press soap, which um, I really got into during lockdown. I absolutely love it um, because it's all natural. And I use my own honey and beeswax and try and source everything as locally as possible for that. Um, and it's just kind of grown a little bit organically. I think for a lot of people having all that extra time during lockdown to think about things, plan things. Um, of course, now that sort of real life's back up and running, it's manic. So <laughs> I'm kind of glad that the actual beekeeping season's gone down, but the pre-Christmas um, rush has been going for about three three four weeks now already so I'm like oh my god what's it going to do when we get to December but we'll cope so yeah it's, that's been ticking along so that's been really interesting so now I do um I do the cold press soaps and some candles and I do see some wildflower seeds British wildflower seeds and I, I make I do gift boxes as well um and I do some dog's lying here sleeping next to me uh, I do some natural dog shampoo bars as well so everything I do is all natural, no palm oil no plastic no synthetic fragrance if there's any fragrance in it it's um, essential oils um, and I just try and keep everything quite um, natural and simple uh, and I try to keep that with the, the brand as well and all the labelling and stuff everything's recycled, reusable and it's just built up from there. And I've, I've not really had to go sort of chasing, like people have seen things on social media and then a, a couple of like farm shop type places have approached me local as well. And it's sort of, I'm just letting it grow like that. I'm not really wanting it to grow too fast because I'm just a one woman band, you know? Mm -hmm. And I do it all myself. So I make a package, I look after the bees, um, no one gets fed when I'm busy in this house. <laughs> and, and, and so yeah, that, that's where it is. Wow! And you just so you just kind of self-taught, kind of made like how to make these things. And did you yeah. so did you have a day job before this, or were you a were you a a, a housewife, a a, a mum, or? What? Oh no, I've got a, I've got a day job. <laughs> I've got another day job. Oh my goodness! Where do yeah. you find the time? <laughs> I know. I, uh, I do, I've got a, a business that does hospitality marketing, so um, I'm quite busy with that as well. Wow. Um, obviously, that's, I mean, real life's come back with a bang because during lockdown I had time to explore all these different routes because obviously all my hospitality business disappeared. Everything closed, mm -hmm. um, all the holiday homes gone, my hotels, you know, gone, everything was just quiet. So I had time to do all this. But now it's all ramping back up majorly, and of course I'm in the um, sort of in the middle of the sort of Christmas rush for them as well. Um, but I like being busy. I'm not one for just sitting around, but I do quite like having the odd day off. Yeah. Uh, wow. I I just wow. I I just thought maybe this was your business, you know, because you've got the Hive podcast. You've got you know yeah. you're doing that. But I can appreciate that lockdown was a good time because. Yeah. Um, to do stuff because really lockdown was probably for me was probably what kicked off me starting like Instagram mm -hmm. and everything um and growing stuff and I, and I probably wouldn't have done it you know had had we not had lockdown I probably would have took pictures and put them on my own social media because 
and I would have just done that. But um, I think because I had the time and I was doing videos for like the nursery, so I work in the nursery and I was doing like videos to send to them and that started my confidence kind of doing stuff and I think well my 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 husband being at home as well you know and it just yeah. it was just so nice and it was just such a nice time that you just you could just go to the yeah I, I really enjoyed it <laughs> I really enjoyed the downtime and I um what happened was uh, uh, through a friend someone approached me to uh, would ask if I would do a talk for the National Libraries of Scotland mm -hmm. on my sort of journey a journey into beekeeping they were doing a season I think it was um it was a women's season and they had someone that had set up a, a, a new mums running group in Edinburgh and all these different really interesting things. I had never done anything like that before. I was like, well, actually what happened is she phoned me and she caught me when I, one of those lovely sunny afternoons when during lockdown when you're sitting in the garden with a bottle of wine. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, it's not till October. Oh, yeah, fine, fine. And then the next thing I know, it's October. I was like, oh, my God, I said I would do that. So I did it, and it went really well. In fact, it went a million times better than I thought it would, but really good feedback from it. It was because um, they'd taken it all online. Obviously, they couldn't do their in-person talk. So I did actually find it easier because I couldn't see anyone. I didn't actually know how many people were there. It was just me prattling on. And it went really well, and I had really good feedback. And I'm like, oh, you know, you should write a book, which... I'm absolutely in no way qualified to write a book about beekeeping. Um, and so someone suggested a podcast. And I was like, that's a great idea. And it just went from there. Because I think my, my need to speak about bees, just, you know, I had no one else to talk to. My husband was sick hearing about it, you know. like to learn more about you know I'm just more passionate to you know look after bees and um you know I was absolutely horrified in the summer there when um my nephews so they're five and my mum not on purpose but obviously she wasn't thinking about the bees and she she was thinking that they would sting so she was obviously she was trying to get rid of them so my nephews I'd been talking to them because they started doing gardening with me so on and on my Instagram they're on like my mini gardeners and um, I was teaching them all about the bees and pollinating and how they eat the pollen and then they make the honey. And um, so when I went around to my mum's one day to do some kind of gardening with them, they were like, they were like, Auntie Nikki, uh, granny, granny killed a bee. And I'm like, what? <laughs> my mum's like, well, it could sting you. I was like, no. So then I started talking to my mum about, no. The bees are keeping us alive. If we don't have bees, we're not going to have any food. We're going to die. We're yeah. dying in four years, Mum. You can't kill another bee. <laughs> she was like, and she was like, right, okay, okay. So now she's like, so I think bees get a bad rap because of wasps, and wasps have a bad rap because even though I hate wasps, and I, you know, I will put my hand up. I hate wasps because they attack beehives later in the summer. Um, oh. They do have in a place. They do have a place in the chain, you know, and it's not their fault because 
wasps are actually meat eaters. So they have a really important job where they, they clean up a lot of the dead carrion that's lying about, um, things that die. Wasps tie them up. But what happens is when they feed their young, um, they feed the young sort of re regurgitated. I don't don't anyone quote me on this. I'm not a wasp expert, but what I understand about and then when they feed them, they, the larvae excrete basically sucrose, you know, sugar, and the wasps get that, and they get quite addicted to it, or they get very addicted to it. And then as the summer rolls on, because you'll notice that the wasps get really bad at the end of summer and they start coming after your ice lolly and your, your Coca-Cola, and uh, it's because they no longer have any larvae, so their source of sugar is cut off, and they just go into a sugar frenzy. And they're like heroin addict you know they just like go crazy but they just have to have it it's like a severe addiction um and that's why they come after you so you've got to feel a bit sorry for them i do yeah i I do do actually agree with you that i didn't like wasps but actually i like through learning more about gardening i realized that wasps actually do pollinating as well so um I had wasps in my sweet corn, so this year I, I, I didn't really have, like, vegetables in my garden last year, but I added, like, the vegetable kind of mini-grown bit with the mm-hmm. um, fruit and veg. And then I was Googling, you know, Google's a good friend to, to find out some yeah. things, like, why have I got wasps on my sweet corn? Yeah. And it's like, so then I was like, they go in and they help, you know, they're going in and they're helping you to kind of the sweet corn to, to, to grow and, you know, that it helps with, like, pollination and stuff. And I'm like, Wow. I'm like the only problem wasps with bees. Um, wasps at the end of the summer. At the time when they're really cut off from their sugar source is when the hives are full of honey, and they will attack a hive. They'll go for it to the point that they will. They can. They can kill a whole colony because they'll actually rip a bee in half to get the honey out of it. They're quite vicious, so. As a beekeeper, what you do is you, you make the, the entrance to your hive as small as possible, like really an eighth of an inch. Mm-hmm. So one one bee space in and out, and then the bees can guard that space so they can't get in. But if too many get in, they can, they can wipe out. They can wipe out one of your hives, and they're, they're a real, they can be a real pest. Wow. Um, you know, <laughs> I didn't know this. I don't know if this is a myth, right? But people have always said to me, so, like, as you say, was they they get angry. I would say they get angry in August, right? In the summer. Yeah, it's August when they've, they've been cut off. Yeah. And, and and people say, oh, it's a shame because they've been shoved out the hive. And I'm like, what? They're like, the queen shoves them out the hive because that's the, to go and oh, die. No, that's it. And I'm you're like, thinking of, I'm like, what? You're thinking of drones, male bees. That's what happens to male bees. But you probably won't ever see a male bee that much because male bees only have one purpose in life and that is to mate with virgin queens mm-hmm. so they don't they don't go out and collect pollen or nectar that is their only job they hang out they're born they're big and fluffy they don't have a sting they're much bigger than a worker bee and they hang out with the hive and they go they, they go out every day and it's a nice day and look for virgin queens so there's only two ways that those uh, that it's going to go for the, the drones and that is either they will get lucky and they'll meet a virgin queen and they will mate with her which will kill him uh, or uh, 
towards the end. It's not good for guys. Oh, so no. <laughs> being a if you're a guy, you don't want to come back as a bee. Um, or the other option is they don't get to mate. And as the temperatures start to dip in early September, the worker bees hoof them out because they've got nothing to add then. They're not bringing anything. All they're going to do is eat, store. So they shove, they shove them out and they will be eaten by a bird or they'll just die of the cold or starvation. Wow. So... This is the thing, so I always thought, so like, I don't know a lot about bees and people would like that are saying, yeah, that's what happens is that the bees die and only the queen's left, right? And, I, and I'm like, right, okay. And then, so people were saying the same with the wasps, like, so the wasps will have a queen and, the, and, then, and then she lays eggs and then the rest die. And that's how she gets her worker bees for the next, and I thought, what? I'm not sure about wasps, but I think what happens is like, other bees, not necessarily, not honeybees, but other bees, I think, they lay their larvae and they last their eggs and they grow through the winter and hatch out in the spring. Right. And some of them will be queens and some of them might not be. And then those, and then those queens then go and make their own little colony. Mm-hmm. And that just trundles around year after year after year. But with honeybees, um, they stay in the hive, quite a decent-sized colony, thousands of bees, and they 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 don't hibernate and stuff, but they don't come out and fly. They kind of huddle together in a ball and keep warm. Kind of, you can akin it to like penguins. You know, they move around, um, and they will they just stay in it and they keep the inside of the hive at thirty degrees. Wow. Toasty, and warm in there. That heat keeps their stored honey, um, sort of stops it from being brick hard, so they can eat it. Um, and the, that's how they get through the winter. So normally, summer bees only live for about six weeks. The worker bees only live for about six weeks. A queen will live for up to four years, four or five years, and a drone only lasts one season. He only sees one summer. Um, so towards the end of the summer, as the, the summer bees start to die off, so obviously they're always, you know, uh, like a cycle, the queen will lay slightly genetically different eggs and they will become winter bees and those bees can live for up to six months so they'll stay alive right through the winter and then they'll start to die off as the new summer bees are being born in the spring and it it moves around like that every year so the bees when they're first born they all have different they work through a little job rota um, and the last thing a bee does, usually the last couple of weeks of its life, it, it flies outside the hive and goes off and collects pollen and nectar till it dies. Wow. You know, I always thought bees were amazing, but the more you tell me about them, the more I'm like, wow. You know, because I always thought, like, and maybe it's just because I'm quite, like, like you're saying you ask questions, I'm always quite inquisitive. Yeah, I mean, and I'm always quite like, but yeah. I just thought, surely, surely... It's not just this queen bee with all her eggs. There must be other stuff, you know. I'm like, what, what blows? What blew my mind was that the queen is the most important bee in the colony, but she's not in charge. Oh. It is an absolute democracy. The the worker, female workers, which are essentially her daughters, uh, they make the decisions. So. I mean, it's, it's very complicated. It's something that, you know, scientists are still getting to grips with understanding because, I mean, it is so out there, but that's basically what happens. It's not, ne- you know, the queen 
their decision affects the queen. It's not necessarily the colony makes the decision, and the colony is all the female worker bees. Wow. Perfectly functioning female society. There's a lot to be said for it. We should be in charge more. I'm I'm just amazed, you know, and I, I you know I think I keep t- I think for me probably and talking about bees and just talking about biodiversity like you know, yeah. um and being like more sustainable and like not using like pesticides because many years ago like when you didn't know people that just did you know when we first got yeah. a house together, my husband was kind of taught from like gardening from we from his his papa. And he was in his eighties and stuff. So he so he if someone like if you had something on your um if you had a a, a wee beastie on your, your flower or your veg, you would you know, that would be just just get rid of them, just just get rid of them, just spray it. Whereas like this year, like we, I mean I've tried everything organically to get the slugs to stop eating stuff and it just it just doesn't work. So I just said like I was talking to my husband and I thought, Do you know what? Like the slugs the slugs need something to eat. So it's like it's part of the ecosystem, isn't it? So and he even said to me, Do you know what? They're not doing that much harm. We're still getting stuck. They're not they're not attacking. I know some people get slugs and they completely wipe out plants. Slugs aren't like that and you know, they'll just they maybe like they, they ate one of my squashes, right? I was fascinated with the fact, right, that I had a squash and at first it looked like little teeth marks and I thought it was like a mouse or something. Mouse, yeah. So I'm like, Oh, I must have a mouse. So the next day when I went out, because we got rabbits, so when I was putting the rabbits to bed, because I bring them inside, <laughs> um, I, I saw all these slugs on it. And I was like, wow, like like loads of slugs, like about 10 of them eating this this squash. And then I thought... That's been really tasty. What a shame you missed it. And I'm kind of like, wow. Like, I kind of thought, like my husband was saying to me, like, oh, do you know... We can't really, cause I said I've always been saying that for years. I want to get more. I want to get more, um, like many beasts, birds, butterflies. Um, I want to bring more stuff into the garden. And he he was like to me, you know, we can't really try and keep things out the garden. We can't decide what we want out the garden. Like saying, look, there's yeah. too many slugs. The slugs are eating yeah. stuff. You you just have to just have to live with it. So and one of the the guys at my allotment said to me. What you could do is plant one plant that that maybe, and say that's for the slugs, you know, so they can eat that bit and you take whatever you can. I mean, they haven't, like the the cabbage butterfly, so everybody, I think, on Twitter, I was horrified that I had cabbage butterflies and they were eating my cat, they were eating my broccoli, so... Uh And I was dead excited because I had them and they laid eggs, right? And they had caterpillars. Now, to me, I was so excited because I thought, I've helped, I've helped that butterfly reproduce. They've got eggs. There's more butterflies. But everybody on Twitter was horrified because they'd ate, they, they were eating my plant. And I was like, but that's not what it's about. It's about the... Yeah, I'm, not actually, I'm, I'm setting up my sort of first veggie patch for next year um, at the bottom of our garden. And I have to say, pests isn't something I've thought about too much. Just gonna wing it and see how we go for year one. See, see what the pests like and what they don't like um, for next year. But, so I'm really interested yeah. to hear that. 
But yes, and, and, and then it's like, and I think I, like someone said, get rid of it. And I was like, no, I don't want to get rid of it. I want the butterflies in, you know, and if, if that's, and at the end of the day, they've not like damaged the plant. They've, they've eaten it, they've yeah. laid their eggs and they're gone now. So I'm like, it's still like, my broccoli's still growing. Um, so I'm like, they've not damaged it and, the, and they've reproduced. They've had their eggs laid on it. And I've made more butterflies, and I've actually helped the ecosystem. So exactly, it's not really always about like, you know, oh, the, get them off, get them rid of them. Because you know, I no. did. So when I first started, like you, when I first started doing vegetable garden, you know, I would tried everything, like you know, the the tape you put round it. I tried the eggshells. No, they just, the, you know, slugs will find a way. Slugs are intelligent, you know. Yeah. Even if it's like well, the wire, they'll still know how to go over it. We had a huge, a huge snail in the garden. This is a few years ago. It was absolutely massive and it was munching through my hostas. And I decided to do a little experiment and I, I mean, it really, really big. So I put a bit of uh, tippex on its shell and we took it away up the end of our drive, um, which goes out into the main road and left it there on the grass. And you know what? It came back. About four weeks later, it was back on that hostel. And honestly, I couldn't believe it. Well, <laughs> I, I, I was like, you've done that. You've gone and, you've gone and found that and brought it back. Like, no, it found its way back to the hostas. They love hostas. Host, although yeah. I've got lots of hostas in my garden, in the front and the back garden. And for some reason, the slugs don't touch it. No, I don't have any left now. They're just eating them, eating them, eating them. And, the, and, and uh, uh, one thing, again, I was astounded to, to learn about snails and slugs is that the trail is a bit like Goldilocks. Um, no, hands on Gretel. So there, see their little slime? That's yeah. like, that's actually like a, a sat-nav for them. So, right, so they all follow it. So see where they've been. Like, so for instance, you've got nice hostas to eat. So they've been there and they've they've got this slug trail. So they know how to get back to you. A bit like bees, I suppose, if bees come back to yeah. somewhere they know. The slugs yeah. and snails, they've got uh, their own sat-navs trail of how to get back to where the, where the food is. Which I think is amazing, to be honest. Because you don't even think about, like, wee tiny animals like that having that you just think like you i'm just like the slugs are back again I mean, and it amazes me that bees can go five miles away and and you see them flying in and they fly right in in the door no straight into that little sort of one inch gap right in of the goal and it's like how do you know that how do you how do you know how to find your way back definitely like i i mean we had we when we first get started getting bumblebees and then we've now got bumblebees, honeybees, all the different ones. But at first it was just like the bumblebee. It was just the the bumblebee we were getting, and I said to my husband, "I'm sure these are the same bees, like the same bees that come that have been here. They keep coming back, like every day. They just come back to the same. Like you're saying, like we had like yeah. we've got lavender and and dahlias and and things. And I'm like, it's the same bees. I'm sure it's the same bees. They just and they bring their friends. They go, they go back and tell their friends. As well, especially honeybees do that. They they will go back and they do what's called a, a if a bee finds a really good source of um, forage, they go back to the hive and they tell everyone, and they do what's called the waggle dance. So they vibrate and they move and they basically point in the direction that what, what and communicate what they found, and they all go because this year I've managed to 
leave a frame that still had some uncapped honey in it. I'd mi- I don't know what I'd done, but I'd managed to miss it when I was putting all the used frames back into my shed at the bottom of the garden. And normally I'll put them back on the hive. They'll empty the last, the bees will move the last of it around and then I bring them back and store them. And I thought, I'll do that tomorrow. I've been extracting honey all day. I'm absolutely poor. And my husband said, Gil, there's something going on in the shed. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, I think there's, there's some bees in the shed. So I went down and of course the door's wide open and there was maybe 10 bees. They must have found that little bit of honey that was left. Well, within half an hour, the shed was heaving with tens of thousands of bees. I just had to let, let them get on with it. I couldn't get them out. But, like, how did... I mean, they must have gone and told somebody, and it, they just all decided to have a rave. You know, they, they, it was just crazy. So I just had to leave them and let them... He <laughs> was like, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I'm just going to have to leave them. And hopefully... And they did. They all left. When it got started to get dark, they all left. And I might have, you know, then I took it out and cleaned everything up and wrapped it up um, so they wouldn't come back. But I was like, it was so fast. It really was about 20 minutes. Wow. And there must have been, you know, been 20,000 bees in my shed. I'm really glad that you have a, I mean, I, I'm, sometimes I think, you know, sometimes like you're saying, when I talk about stuff and like people who maybe aren't gardeners or aren't like into like, like the bees and stuff. And I'm like, I talk about things like that. Like, I think the bees have went and got their friends. And I can see people yeah. thinking, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. I do. <laughs> no, they do. <laughs> but, they actually do. And, and, and I thought, wow. Yeah, there's a bee language that's study to try and you know work out exactly what they're doing because they're sort of, their communication is so different you know because it's not actually a, a language as such although I definitely think that you can you can tell a lot about what's going on in a hive by the noise it makes yeah. um, I've got some hives that are quite feisty and they sound feisty they've got a real kind of feisty buzz and then I've got a really mellow hive that makes very little noise whatsoever. Um, but some days you come around the corner and I go into where the bees are and I can hear them before I get there. And you know, oh, it's not a good buzz. Sorry, that's my phone ringing. My husband's phone. Um, and uh, I'll speak to you tomorrow. Oh, I can't, sorry, I can't hear it. <laughs> um, you can't hear it? No, I can't hear it. <laughs> Sorry, you're all right. Soon. Um, what was I saying there? Oh yeah, you're talking about oh, the yeah. bees. The so sometimes you go around, and there was one day I came around the corner because they're all behind a wall, and I, when I what as I walked in the corner, I could hear them, and they sounded really peed off. I think it's the next day. What's going on? I could hear this, and it was a really you just know by the you could just tell by the sound something was going on. Just were not happy. And I don't think I've ever been stung quite so much as I was that day. And I ended up giving up and just leaving. And that night, we had that massive, I don't know if you remember, was it last October, that massive electrical storm on the East Coast that went on all night. And they must have known it was coming. And the only other time they've been, all the bees, every hive's been really quite aggressive was when we had thunder and lightning. So it's like they know, it's they must feel, don't know, the air pressure or something but that's that's only happened a couple of times so now when i see that there's thunder and lightning forecast i just stay away 
That's what I was going to say. So, like, it's so, you do you always wear suits? Like you're saying, you got stung, yes. but can, you yeah. can still get stung through the suit. Yeah, you can sometimes. You can sometimes, and uh, I've had a couple of absolute belters where, you know, uh, mostly involving me taking unzipping my hood to answer the phone, which now I just don't. I switch my phone off. I leave it in my box on the other side, um, because. Once I got stung on the cheek, and I had to miss a really good girls' night out because I just looked, I just couldn't go out. And it was so funny because I messaged my friend and I said, I'm really sorry, I'm not going to make the night out tonight. And she was really disappointed. I think she thought I was making excuses. I've been stung by a bee. And she's like, yeah, right. And I sent her the photo and she's like, no, don't come. <laughs> I want to say my cheek was touching my chest and my cheek was down here. It was just massive. And then I think... The best one I ever had, I was just last summer and I was stung on the throat and it was totally my own fault. I'd taken the zips open and I was bending down to pick something up off the ground and a bee just came up from the ground and went, caught me on the throat and I immediately thought, oh my God, my throat's going to swell up and I'm not going to be able to breathe. And I started to panic. So I had my car with me that day, jumped in the car, which I probably shouldn't have done drove down the hill back into the village and by the time I got to where our little village um, it's a post office and a um, chemist together by the time I got there everything was starting to spin I was like oh my god so I jumped out the car left the car running because it's during lockdown I've not got a mask on I'm a maniac in a bee suit I go bursting in the door ran ran past all the people in the queue right to push my way to the front of the queue (laughs) and said, I've been stung by a bee, I think I'm anaphylactic. Projectile vomited across the desk. <gasps> passed out. Passed out and myself. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Of my village, and I was, I've was i never lived it down. Uh, so they, they just dragged me by the ankles, you know, into the little consultant room. They just dragged me in, and I just lay there until I felt better. But that was not my finest beekeeping moment. Um, and that, that's been my worst one. And oddly, since then... Um, I've not had really bad reactions. I've, I seem to have become a bit more immune to it now. But you do get stung, and I get asked that all the time. And yes, it does. It is really sore. It does hurt. Um, I'd love to be one of those people that don't have any reaction whatsoever. But it's never made me want to stop beekeeping. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you've had, like, I wasn't expecting, you know, I don't know, I I, I mean, I wasn't expecting um, that kind of story, but, like, you know, when people have these... Honestly, you can cut that out. Probably people don't need to hear about me projecting vomiting and peeing myself in in the chemist, but that is what happens. That is the reality. No, but I think it's a good thing to to say, is that, you know, in my mind, I would think if you're a beekeeper, you didn't get stung because maybe no, maybe do. falsely you're thinking you've got the suit on so you're not going to get stung mostly, mostly i get stung on the hand and it'll go through because i wear like a leather glove sometimes they can still get through my glove um and then i just end up um i'm a bit like you know that bit in harry potter with the big fat with the auntie with the big fat finger i am that woman with the big the big massive finger um or a big swollen hand um for a couple of days but yeah it, it's never made me want to stop. And Ever. and and do they think you're? Do they why? So why do you think they sting you? Do they think you're a threat, or do they? Is it just that? Yeah, 
often it depends what's going on in the hive and and bees i mean the, the ideal scenario that you want is nice lovely calm bees but different things affect bees if they've got a lot of store if they're low on store if they're queenless that makes them really agitated and they can become quite aggressive um and like i say if there's going to be thunder and lightning i have now learned to my peril that they they will they don't like you coming in um and opening up the hive so mostly the bees are absolutely fine it's just very occasionally there's something going on in that hive or that maybe they're you know a lot of the time it can be that they're queenless or they're hungry you know or you, you don't always know but you can often tell the minute you lift the lid and sometimes you just get aggressive colonies and that comes from the queen um because it's her genetics and that just happens and if the queen lay creates aggressive bees then eventually she has to go because sometimes it just becomes really so defensive that they're aggressive and nobody wants that um luckily i've only i've only had i've got i've kind of got one hive at the moment that's a little bit aggressive but um i kind of know i know i know so i know how to i go really slowly and very quietly with them um but all my other bees are are lovely. I talk to my bees, and um, you know, historically, beekeepers would always talk to bees, and you're supposed to tell your bees what's going on in your life, like if there's a wedding or a birth or a death, and they share your emotion with you, which is really interesting because that's just like therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you say something out loud, it goes to the logical part of your brain, and your problems don't seem quite so big or they seem more slightly more manageable so you're supposed to tell the bees um and i do and i, I come in and i talk to the bees and i talk to the chickens and each hive i'll have a wee chat with them um so yeah i, I do talk to them and i do tell them things like oh you know you're going to be on the telly next week or oh you've, you've done really well or you know do you know i think it's i, th- I do think it's amazing you know i i do talk well i talk to my rabbits I talk and I talk to my my dog like I know I, I talk to them like like you're saying so I'll be like mummy's going to work today you know yeah. or you know it's a busy day today like even when I'm doing the podcast that sometimes if you've if you have listened to my podcast you'll hear my dog barking in it which is just you can't there's nothing I can do she's a puppy she just turned one so it's like you know the postman came so it's like you know the postman's here I, you know mommy the postman's here you know it's like in normal it's like no quiet it's okay the postman's here that's fine i see him but as it is like and i talked to each of my hives i find that they just like the different personalities they're all they are all individual and they've all got a name so each of my each hive has a the queen is named and i name them all after dream dinner guests so we've got people like michelle obama (laughs) oh wow i love it amy winehouse Chris Jenner, so we've got Carrie Bradshaw. So each one has got is, is named, um, and then I've got sponsored hives. I do have uh, corporate sponsors for some of my hives, and the the favourite among sponsors is Beyonce. Wow, this is amazing. <laughs> Beyonce, yeah. So that's a very popular Queen Bee name, obviously. Um, is Beyonce. But, you know, and, and the thing is, like, I always kind of, fa- like, you, I'm a bit fascinated with animals and I know, like, they were talking about how dogs 
like they were done a study that dogs can actually understand what you're saying because we used to have a dog and she passed away last September now we've got Lila and um, I used to always say like Stella like my, my other dog and Lila I used to say I, I'm not sure she can understand what I'm saying like you know even if it was just like just talking about like you're saying just talk about the day or just say I've had a terrible day today and then you know they would just yeah. kind of answer you back <laughs> as if like oh Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know it's terrible, isn't it? You know, you'd have a conversation with the dog. Um, or like every day, you know, I, I laugh. I talk to, I, I got my say good morning to the rabbits. Good morning, my boys. I've got your breakfast. You know, and I'm oh, thinking I the did, neighbors, yeah. the neighbors must I be just like, said, like, I'll get up early and let the dog go down and let the dog come up beside me because they feel bad that she's been on her own all night. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a shame. She's been on her own in the kitchen all night. Come on up the stairs with my mate. And, you know... <laughs> when my husband's away. Uh, oh, definitely. When my, my husband sometimes walks away as well. Not so much now, but um, he's, like, a landing building severe, so sometimes he can be, like, away, like, up north, or he can be down in England, um, or Wales. Like, he goes, he can be anywhere, really. And um, when and he goes away, like, the dog is, like, my my kind of safety yeah. person that I'm like yeah, come on in the bed just you lying your yeah. dad's pillow oh we've got teenagers so I barely see them um so the dog is my constant companion and we do have a sort of quite a creaky old house so I like the dog to be there just in case <laughs> the safety. If, I, if, I hear, if I hear a noise if the dog doesn't react then it's just the house cooling down <laughs> I know but don't you think though see when you are that like I, I never hear noises, like, if I do hear it, I probably don't even react, but see if my husband's away, and I hear, like, a creak up in the attic or something, I'm like, what yeah. is that? Who is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's nobody. You know, it's just the house it's, down. Uh, it's yeah. just, but you just start to think, oh my God, who is that? And, you know, like, you're thinking of, like, all the doors are locked, everything's, everything's like, secure. It's always good, like, um, to tell the truth, like, like you've you've said your own stories, and I always think it's good because sometimes, like, 
Like me, I thought when you were a beekeeper, you would never get stung. It would be odd, you know, thing. Yeah. You would get stung. I, ju- I just assumed this, this suit would protect you and that's it. Never, nothing never happened to you. Um, And I think it's good to kind of chat and see how, like, you started and you didn't know anything really about bees and you've, what you've achieved and what you've got. So if someone was, like, enthusiastic and they wanted to say, I, I want to do... um you know, this and have my own bees, you know, it's something that they can, they'll listen to your story and kind of inspire people. So def- definitely, I think your story's been great. I think, um, oh, you. you know, it's, and, and when I see your Instagram, you know, for your podcast and when you had the cute, the Highland Coos, I love Highland Coos. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. really know why, right? But um, my husband took me for a, a, a drive. Sometimes we like to go for drives just like up north. Cause... It's because we're Scottish. It's illegal not to love Highland Coos. <laughs> And um, and we went up to Ab- Aberfoyle and it's like a, a forest drive and there was these Highland Coos and they sat down like in front of us so we had to go round them but I just thought it was amazing I'm like stop I want to take their picture my husband's like they're well, we cows we two calves this year and I think we're I think we're going to have eight next year so and they are just I mean there's nothing cuter than a Highland Coo car I mean they're just like they actually look like teddy bears it's just bizarre. They're absolutely gorgeous. So that's going to be good. And hopefully our first baby uh, miniature goats next year. Oh. So that's going to be interesting. Um, so, yeah, it's all going on. And do you know what? It's amazing. Do you know, like, you, you're, you've got chickens where your bees are. You've got Highland yeah. Coos, um, goats. I just think I'd never want to leave. Like, I'd, I just I love know. animals. You know, and... It, I love it there. It, the chickens aren't that cuddly, though. I, no. I kind of wish the chickens were a bit more cuddly, but um, maybe onesie though. They like they like they cut. They do come the minute I arrive. They all come running because I, I take them sweet corn. So every time I go to the supermarket, I buy some spare sweet corn and, and I cut it all up and take them some sweet corn. And so they know that if when I come round the corner, they're going to get sweet corn. But they're actually really good for the bees because they clean up. You know, they keep everything really neat and tidy underneath the hive. So um, yeah, they're they're a good addition. Isn't it amazing though how everything works together? I mean, I know like yeah. in in life, like you know, even like it's just amazing how everything kind of like you're saying the chickens, you know, the cows, yeah. the bees. So they all do something that helps each other to get yeah. the bees to make honey, and you don't even like think about it. You just think that's just nature, and nature, like you're saying, nature just does its own thing. You know, we. We probably put too much pressure on ourselves to do things, to do jobs, and and animals just know. Animals just yeah. do things, and and it's they're just they 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 don't get stressed. It's just like this is what I've to like you're saying the bees and they're working through their jobs. Right, this is what I've to do. Um, but I, I must admit it does, and I know it is something that happens. But when I always when I see like you know the bees have died or like butterflies, you know, um. Like if they've they've like so uh, apparently I don't know if this is true either, but someone told me that butterflies like so once they've re- once they've like reproduced, then they die after seven days, and I was like wow, that's really sad, <laughs> and I just think that's quite sad to think that wee butterflies just flying about, but then it reproduces, which is good because it keeps it going. I don't know. I just think death is like, I just think, oh, and I, maybe it's just I get too attached to like the wee bees and think, oh, there's death now. Though, it, death is a part of life, isn't it? I mean, even in the beehive, it's, it's a part of life. And there are bees inside the beehive called mortician bees, and that is their job is to 
take out the dead you know yeah i don't know if it was you that shared it but someone on my instagram because i do I follow bet, I, bet, I, I managed to catch a video of them in action doing that earlier this year and, and i think i posted that so they've all got they've got all these wee jobs to do and like even like the queens i mean if you end up with two queens hatching in a hive they will fight to the death Wow. To be only one yeah, there's, there's so much goes on inside the hive that we don't see, and you forget that it all goes on in darkness because when we see inside the hive, obviously it's light, but when the lid's on, it's, it all goes on in the dark, so it's very kind of pheromone led. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it, it's, it's definitely something that you're always learning as well. Because I, I remember when I got my very first bees, and I said, John, oh, look, I'm a beekeeper, and he said, oh, no. Girl, give it 20, 25 years, you might be a beekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, <thanks." laughs> He's very pragmatic, John. He sounds he sounds a bit like my husband. That's kind of thing she would say to me. <laughs> but you know what? I think it's great. Like, John's, look- got, John's got 50 years experience and so he's allowed to say that he's a beekeeper, so... Oh wow! Yeah. That that is that is amazing though. Like I think, yeah, I must drive him mad because when he comes to visit me, I just I, I just ask him a million questions because I know that he knows so much. I just I want to pull it all out of his brain and and learn it all. So. definitely see when I meet someone like even like you like see if I meet someone they're like training or uh, I'm always like I always ask questions you know and then sometimes people are like well <laughs> that is a yeah. good question <laughs> and I, because I think I'm well, always kind of thinking why and well, I suppose yeah, if I ask a question and, and John does either doesn't want to tell me or he doesn't know what I'm talking about he just goes Gail the bees know best just leave them alone the bees know best and that, I think that's the best bit of advice he's given me is that not to mess around with them too much. That actually, you know, you're you're there to support them, um, but they do know they know what they're doing. They've been doing it a long time, so uh, if you give them everything they need, they'll, they'll hopefully be okay. And try not mess around with them too much, which as a new beekeeper is impossible because you want to be in there looking at everything. It's so exciting, but um, not some. Now I know just to sort of mostly leave them, leave them be let them do their thing so when they make the honey like and you take it out like how do you transport it like so so what would you what do you do with it after you've taken like i don't know what you call it but it's like the wee kind of it's like the comb yeah the frames of comb well what you do is so you've got different the hive's got different parts so there's a big box on the bottom which we call the brood box and that's where you want to keep the queen and that's where she'll lay her eggs. And then what you'll do is to give them, they'll, they'll, they'll put honey in there, but that's their honey. And then as the, the summer comes around and they're bringing, packing in more honey, you give them more space by adding what we call a super. So and it's another sort of slightly shorter box that sits on the top and it's full of frames. And those frames are going to be your honeycomb. And in between those two boxes, you put a grill. So the worker bees can get through, but the queen bee can't get up. She stays down and lays all her eggs in the bottom box. So then what happens is the worker bees will move up. Not, I mean, sometimes, it depends where you are in the world, you could have four or five honey supers on top of your brood box. Um, and then when you're ready to take the honey off, you know it's ready because, because the bees know it's ready. And when it gets down to between sort of 17, 18% water, so basically they bring back the nectar nectar is about 80% water 
bring it back in their little um, honey tummies and then they pass it on to another bee who then puts it inside each one of the little cells and then they fan it to make it evaporate and when they, they know when it gets down to 17-18% it is honey and they cap it with a little bit of wax um, and that's what you see when you see like honey chunk honeycomb that you can buy it's got wax on the outside and that, that basically seals it in and that will just stay perfectly in there forever and uh, it will stay in there until they decide to uncap it and eat it so then what happens is that I will put a board um, underneath those boxes which has a one-way exit so when the bees go out they can't get back in and usually within uh, usually overnight but it can take 24 hours all the bees will be in the, the other boxes and then you can just lift them off and very quickly wheat them in your car and take them away <laughs> so you're not being followed by bees um, and then sometimes you're taking some on and putting empty ones back, you know, taking some off, putting empty ones back on. But one of those boxes could weigh 40 pounds. Wow. Um, so it's quite heavy work. That is quite, uh, back. there is a thing called beekeepers back. Um, we're lifting heavy boxes. Um, and then what happens is I extract by hand. So you, I bring it home and I then, you have like a little uncapping fork and it lifts the, the little, um, wax lids off and then you put it into a spinner so maybe I've got one that you put six frames in at a time and it's like centrifugal force and you spin it quite fast and it just it whees, it's a technical term whees the honey out draws the honey out to the side drops to the bottom of the tank and then basically I just you open the tap on the bottom of the tank and pass it through a sieve and it goes into a like, food grade bucket. It also has a little tap on the bottom. I leave that for 48 hours just to settle because it's got little tiny air bubbles in it. All the air bubbles come to the top and then it goes in the jar and that's it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot a lot of work into honey. A lot of work and yeah. a lot of, um, from you and the bees to get the honey. Yeah. I think it's amazing and you do a great job. Do you know, I could talk to you all night, but, we are running out of time we are, yeah. <laughs> in our Zoom chat. And I think, I'm, so I'm going to thank you um, for being on the show. And, oh, um, no. Thanks feel, for having me. It's nope. lovely to chat about bees. Thanks everyone for listening tonight to Gail. She was fantastic and had lots of tips and amazing facts about bees it was absolutely amazing talking to Gail I loved hearing all about the bees because I'm very passionate about saving the bees and creating a space in your garden and helping the bees and biodiversity so this year I'm going to add a bug hotel and definitely a solitary bee hotel and I've got lots of tips off Gail thanks for listening and the next episode we will be speaking to Hannah the cactus surgeon